Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashams in Abuja, Nigeria, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we go in-depth on the qualifiers for the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations finals. There were 52 matches played over the space of six days, and the results saw some teams get into a very strong position, while others, such as Swaziland, effectively bowed out of the race. Anything can happen, see. So we're going to keep believing and fight until the bitter end. And also Stuart takes a look at a book co-written by former Manchester United manager Sir Alex Ferguson on management and leadership. It's much easier to endure setbacks and frustrations when you deeply enjoy your work, the way Ferguson clearly did. And that is very, very interesting stuff. That's coming up later, plus news of our brand new Planet Sport Football Africa app. Well, it was a tension-filled time in African football as match day three and four games in qualifying for the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations finals were held in the space of less than a week. Only the group winners qualify automatically and there are just two slots for the best runners-up, so there's little room for error in this campaign. And among the headlines were that Nigeria are out. After a 1-1 draw with Egypt in Kaduna, the Super Eagles then lost 1-0 away to the Pharaohs in Alexandria, and they cannot qualify now. So Egypt are back at the Nations Cup after missing three editions in a row, and Nigeria have now missed two in a row since winning the Cup in 2013. Uh, Solomon, you're in Nigeria. What would you say went wrong in this campaign? Steve, I think a lot has gone very, very wrong. It's quite unfortunate that a nation like Nigeria, which has uh, produced so many great players, have uh, been to so many AFCON and has uh, won the title so many times and also been to the World Cup. And globally, a lot of people know about Nigeria. And I think for me, if we want to find out and know what really went wrong, then we have to go back to the Nigerian Football Federation, uh, headed by Mr. Pinnick. And there's also been a lot of drama between Mr. Pinnick, who won the last election uh, with uh, Chief Giwa, uh, who is the owner of Giwa Football Club in the Nigerian Professional League. They've been to court and they, uh, they've been before the Minister of Sport in Nigeria uh, a couple of months ago, I think two months ago. So there's been a lot of drama and also, most importantly, when I say the problem lies with the Nigerian Football Federation, I mean the Football Federation has refused to plan very well, have refused to respect contracts, uh, you know, have refused to really put administrative issues right, contractual issues right, especially with the coach, uh, the former coach that is a former Nigerian international player, Sunday Olise. A lot of drama around it. And when I look at the way he was treated and you look at the contract that he signed with the Nigerian Football Federation, they failed to provide a great working environment for him. They failed to provide a home for him in Abuja. They failed to provide him with transportation. They failed to provide him with his salary. You know, he was only paid his salary after about six months after complaining for so much. Uh, and, and he had to, you know, jump ship halfway into the, uh, the qualifying rounds, and which was never really going to be great. It's definitely going to affect the tempo 
of the team, no matter who comes in uh, and, and take over. And we saw Samson Siasia coming in and, and taking over. I think Nigerian Football Federation always feels, because we have talented players and we have a great team and we have some great coaches, they always feel it's going to be easy for us to go out there and just easily win and easily qualify. That is just not possible, especially when we're in the same group with the pharaohs of Egypt. And Egypt has been rebuilding for, for quite a while. So I believe a team like Egypt is very dangerous because they're definitely on the up. And it's very unfortunate that Nigeria has not learned from it. But I guess this will be uh, definitely a wake-up call for Nigeria because a lot of football fans are angry. A lot of football fans are really, really sad. And, and for me, I think that we need to look at the Nigerian Football Federation and see how we could maybe even bring some sort of a, a you know, normalcy in there, some intervention, you know, uh, because this is not really good for Nigerian football. So tough for Nigeria. Good news for Egypt, almost certainly back at the Nations Cup finals after not playing there since 2010 when they were champions for a record seventh time. It's Morocco who were the first to qualify under their new coach, Hervé Renard, getting back-to-back wins against Cape Verde, the top-ranked African side. Renard won the Nations Cup with Zambia in 2012, with Ivory Coast in 2015, and looks like there are good times ahead for Morocco under Hervé Renard. He just came in at the right time. Sometimes I think he's a very lucky coach because he comes uh, into a, a national team and uh, at the right point and, and bringing in his experiences. Uh, they're definitely going to do well in the AFCON and it's exciting because that is what it takes, you know, having a great coach and, and having a team that is on the up, uh, you know, playing some good, exciting football. Well, in other groups, Ivory Coast, the reigning champions, haven't qualified yet. They were held to a draw away to Sudan. Senegal, Algeria and Ghana all close to qualification and Senegal have four wins out of four. Algeria denied as they drew 3-3 with Ethiopia, but they're almost there. And Ghana looking good with 10 points in Group H, Solomon. We have to look at Ghana. Ghana definitely, uh, with 10 points from four games, they're in there. You know, Ghana, Algeria, for me, you know, they're the darling of African football right now. Right from 2014 at the World Cup in Brazil, I I felt the Algerian team should do something special. We have a crop of players that could do something special. Start for Ethiopia, not good enough, just five points from four games. Now here in Harare, there was a 4-0 win for Zimbabwe over Swaziland, a result that took the Warriors to the top of Group L. And fans here were over the moon. Actually, we appreciate uh, with the colossal performance, we never treated the ball like a hot potato. And actually, we give our lieutenants a standing ovation because they've managed to stand you know, as a unified force. For this, when Spiders unite, they can tie down a lion. So I appreciate even the media support. That has been an element of external motivation. And also the fans thronged the stadium in big numbers. And a lot of fans here, they've been left half open mouth. Something great for Zimbabwe. Let us achieve the weight. We must go to Afcon. We are there already. Please let us support our national team together. I give credit to, to the guys. They are so brilliant in the, in the food. Yes, yes. Especially in the, in the second half. They played very well. Yes. Excited Zimbabwe fans. 
The following day, Guinea won 2-1 away to Malawi, a result that knocks Malawi out of the race. And it's not looking too good for Swaziland, who made a great start in their bid to qualify for the Nations Cup finals for the first time. They were top of the group going into match day three and four, but just one point from two games against Zimbabwe sees them now with a lot of work to do. But Swaziland coach Harris Bulunga says that they won't give up, although playing two games in four days was tough for them. I think also fatigue caught up with us because the players, I think, didn't recover well from uh, the exertions of Friday. Some of them showed signs of being tired towards the end of the game. Hence, uh, we couldn't match the Zimbabweans towards the end. So, coach, in terms of the road to Gabon, what does this mean for Swaziland? Well, uh, it puts us in a disadvantage now because Zimbabwe are leading us by three points. Uh, But there's still two games to go. Anything can happen. So, we're going to keep believing and fight until the bitter end. That's the Swaziland coach, Harris Bulunga, talking to Howard Musonza. And now in Group M, South Africa were held to a nil-nil draw by Cameroon after they drew 2-2 in Limbe a few days earlier. Uh, the Gambia cannot top the group after drawing nil-nil with Mauritania. Yes, Steve, it's definitely a, a shock there, you know, for South Africa. They're currently lying uh, third in the group, three points from four games, Mauritania is ahead with, with seven points uh, from four games. So the Mauritania has a chance, you know, qualifying as uh, uh, one of the, you know, second best team. Cameroon with eight points from four games also. Uh, you know, South Africa, I thought they had a chance to really stage a comeback and uh, contest for the first position in this group when they played in Lembe against uh, Cameroon. But they only got a 2-2 draw. I thought they did well enough to get a, a win. You know, I thought they did well enough also in Durban in the second leg against Cameroon to get a win because they created so many scoring chances but couldn't convert any of them. The the team has been struggling when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, scoring goals and we've seen quite a lot of it and uh, and that has really affected their, their form. So that that's definitely a, a big miss right there for South Africa uh, and, and it's sad. But, but Cameroon with a new coach and, and a bit of experience, they have what it takes and uh, we hope to see how they're going to line it up. And Gambia is always a team that really want to contest and do their best. But I feel Gambia should be credited quite a lot for just, you know, contesting and really putting their hands up and really competing against our top teams across Africa. Well, besides the Gambia, teams who can't top the group and only hold slim chances of taking the best runners-up slots include Namibia. They lost 3-1 at home to Burundi despite taking the lead. Malawi with that 2-1 home defeat to Guinea. And Kenya are out. Very disappointing with just one point from four games. But it is a very difficult race to qualify, isn't it? Yes, very difficult race to qualify. And the race to qualify in this group E... Uh, is between Guinea-Bissau and uh, and Congo. Guinea-Bissau has seven points currently, and uh, Congo with six points, and Kenya uh, with just one point. Zambia also has a good chance. Is their third? They are tied with Congo with six points each. So any of this uh, Guinea-Bissau, Congo, and Zambia, you know, has a, a great chance to qualify uh, in June. Uh, and and Kenya for me is a huge disappointment. Just one point from. Uh, four games, that is not just enough. Uh, I thought, you know, there's a generation of Kenyan players that are in right now that should be able to uh, qualify Kenya for the Africa Cup of Nations. And I'm sure the football fans in Kenya are definitely not going to be happy about that. 
Well, thanks very much, Solomon. The next round of qualifiers are in June, and the final games will be in September. Now, you can give us your views on Facebook and on WhatsApp on the Nations Cup qualifiers. We've already heard from the Gambia, where Ebrima Kante says we drew goalless with Mauritania, but the performance was excellent. Alessandra Drame says a very disappointing result, but we can all build the future from here. And Abakari Sonko says Mauritania shouldn't gain four points from the Gambia. You can send us your thoughts on WhatsApp and on Facebook. The WhatsApp number plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Or go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport and exciting news about our new app. If you miss the show now, you can listen any time on our app. To download it, go to the Play Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. It's about four megabytes, so it won't use too much of your airtime to download. And then you can listen to the show there. In fact, there are 129 episodes of the show there on the app, available on demand. So to download, go to the Play Store, enter Planet Sport Football Africa, and you can listen to the show any time. Note that you will incur airtime charges if you're not connected to a wireless network. Alasana in the Gambia likes it. He says the Planet Sport app is so amazing. I can now listen to all the programs that I missed and even share the audio with friends anytime over and over.、Uh, thanks for that, Alasana. So to download, go to the Play Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Still to come, Stuart takes a look at a book written by former Manchester United manager Sir Alex Ferguson on management and leadership. He never believed in lying in bed when you were awake. He felt that his body knew how much sleep he needed, and when you wake up in the morning, you're ready to get on with the day. That's coming in a few minutes, but、uh, now we turn to your comments on Facebook and on WhatsApp. Last week on the show, we talked about women's football in Africa as the qualifiers were on for the Africa Women's Cup of Nations. We found out about women's football in Tanzania, Nigeria, and the Gambia, and we asked how is the state of women's football in your country, and are you interested in women's football? And once again, we've had a tremendous response to the question this week. Silas and Gong got in touch from Cameroon. He says. We don't even have a championship for women's football here, but nonetheless, the ladies still succeed in their exploits thanks to their passion for the game. Cameroon doing very well, and、uh, quite a few players are、uh, based overseas, some in the USA. From Sierra Leone, Alan M J Campbell says Sierra Leoneans are very much interested in women's football, but much attention hasn't been given to it. A lot needs to be done at grassroots level, and many people have the wrong perception about football being a male-only game. Also in Sierra Leone, Desmond Tunde Koka says, "Yes, I'm interested in women's football because I do cover some of the matches locally, but not much is done in Sierra Leone as of now." The president of the football association is a woman, and she's trying her best to see the revitalisation of women's football. Howa in Ghana says, "I'm fully interested because I'm a woman too, but then the turn-up of Ghanaians at the stadium when women are playing is very low. The stadium is virtually empty, but if it's the men, the stadium is filled to the brim. Why is this?" asks Howa. "Is it gender discrimination?" 
I know what you mean there, Howard, because uh, here in Zimbabwe we have great crowds for women's football, maybe around 15,000 when the national women's team plays. And I remember last year Zimbabwe played Ghana in the African Games qualifiers and indeed the stadium was virtually empty in Ghana. I saw the highlights there. But then a big, big crowd for the second leg here in Harare. So I think the mindset and the attitude is a big factor. In the Gambia is Ansumana Kali, and Ansumana says, I'm a keen follower of both male and female football. And to be frank, women's football is growing fast as more women are now engaged in it, a sport that has been considered as a taboo for women. We have a female league here in the Gambia, and we've produced outstanding talent that went to the Under-17 World Cup in 2012 in Azerbaijan. That World Cup changed Gambian women's football forever, says Ansumana. But not everyone in the Gambia agrees. Wayne is very concerned. He says, I'm interested in women's football and I'd love my daughter to play football when she grows up. But truly, the women's football in the Gambia is very poor. There's no encouragement for the girls and no good facilities for training. We have lots of talent, but our leaders are the problem. Robinio Soe, also from the Gambia, says, Yes, I support women's football. Some players are talented, but they lack motivation and encouragement. Many Gambians believe women have no other job except to sit at home, to cook and take care of the family. That's the issue here, says Robinio. Modu Saine, also in the Gambia, says women's football here doesn't have as much interest as the men's game. But they have their own league, and when I watch the games, I really enjoy it. Uh, But Bakary Sonko thinks women's football in the Gambia still has some way to go. He says, I'm interested in women's football, but it's the organisation and running of the women's game that's very poor. Also, it has very low coverage in the media, and attendances are very poor. Mohamed Kamara says it's growing a little here in the Gambia, but seems to be weak due to financial problems. I do like to watch women's football. The Brazilian Marta, she is amazing. And Mohamed there referring to Marta from Brazil, who's a five-time Women's World Player of the Year. Efratha Kamanga in Malawi says the situation for women's football there is not good. Nothing is happening, he says. When we play, we lose every game, so no improvement is made. Also in Malawi, Biswek said women's football is not at a high level here. I'm interested to watch it, but I'd like to see a high enough level so they can compete with European teams like England and Germany. And still in Malawi, Alfred Mdimba says women's football here is not as interesting as in Tanzania or Nigeria, and it doesn't attract the fans. People's attitude is that football is still for men. Olotunde Adeleka in the Gambia says women's football in Africa is growing and people are interested more now than before, but it's not on TV enough. We only get to see the World Cups and Continental Championships, but at club level we don't even get to see the English Women's League on TV. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments and for giving us insight into what it's like in your country. Uh, This week, we'd love to hear your views on the Nations Cup qualifiers. The WhatsApp number plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Now, still with women's football and from our archives, we have an interview with former Nigeria international Ajuma Otashe. 
Ajuma won many titles in Nigeria, and internationally she played 29 times for the Super Falcons, including at the All Africa Games. And the highlight of her career was playing for Nigeria at the 2004 Olympic Games in Athens, in Greece, when Nigeria reached the quarterfinals. She spoke to Stewart in Lagos back in 2011 and told him about her faith. But first, she spoke about the experience of playing at the Olympics. It was quite an interesting、um, stage for me because it was like the biggest stage, and I was introduced into the game in one of the matches played in in、uh, Athens, and it was quite frightening for me because it, I was like the youngest player in the team, and at the end of the day, we lost out in the quarterfinals against Germany. And when did you retire? I retired in 2007. When I had my first child, I I thought it wise to concentrate on family because、uh, I believed then that I needed to order my priorities and family was my first priority because I had to take care of my child and considering the Nigerian situation, which did not really encourage one to play while you are married, I had challenges of always being away from home. And I just decided that I had to come to Lagos and stay with my husband and see how we raise a family. And now you're involved in some coaching. What do you do? I'm privileged to work with Ambassadors in Sports Nigeria, who also provided me the platform of having a, a coaching certificate with the National Institute for Sports. I had a leading from God to go into it. Because、um, as we do evangelism, people people's life needs to be touched, and God opened my eyes to see that it's a wonderful privilege to be able to meet the need of players, and I had to go for a diploma program in the National Institute for Sports, which I graduated last year. And you're a follower of Jesus Christ. How did that come about? I would say that、um, football led me to Christ. Because I was not born into a family who knew Jesus,、uh, my dad was very traditional. He was an idol worshiper, and my mom too wasn't going to church at that time. So when I started playing football, I was in camp for one of our league games, and some people came to the camp to preach to us. And of course, I embraced Jesus because looking at the Things around me, I I felt like everybody needed power to to play, because you have to put your your faith in something. And when I came to realize that Jesus was the ultimate, I decided to go for a higher power and work with Him. And it has been tremendous working with Him. What would you say is the difference that Jesus makes in your life? Peace. He gave me peace. He he wiped away my tears. Of all the times that I had to cry because of、um, the situation around me, that my parents were separated, and even in my football career, when you see people having one serious injury or the other, he kept me away from injury. He he favored me even far beyond my expectation. When people struggle to do things and they don't succeed, Jesus made it possible for me to. Have those things at a platter of gold, and I'm I'm just too grateful for all he has done. That's former Nigeria women's football international Ajuma Otashi. That interview recorded in 2011 from our archives. 
Now, remember a few weeks back that our European football expert Stuart Weir gave us a four-part series on Arsenal manager Arsene Wenger, and a very popular that series was. Well, Stuart's been finding out about former Manchester United manager Sir Alex Ferguson, who spent 27 years at the club and retired three years ago. Stuart's discovered some fascinating insights about Ferguson's management and leadership qualities. Alex Ferguson has recently written a book called Leading. The book is a series of stories from his football career as a manager. It's arranged in thirteen chapters under headings like Focus, Leading but Not Managing, Owning the Message, and there are principles of leadership drawn out at every stage. While the book will teach you a lot about leadership, it's anything but a dull management book. Ferguson calls it an attempt to sum up everything I've learnt from my life in general, and in particular my time as a football manager. The opening words of the book, in a way, sum up the man. He says, "When I left school, the Govan High School in Glasgow, at the age of sixteen, to start an apprenticeship as a toolmaker." And play a bit of part-time football at Queens Park. I could never have imagined that 55 years later, I would be standing at the front of a lecture theatre in Harvard Business School, talking about myself. The co-author of the book, Michael Moritz, says two very interesting things about Ferguson. He says, for people like Sir Alex, who are obsessed by achieving a pursuit. There is no clear separation between life and work, and he adds that it's much easier to endure setbacks and frustrations when you deeply enjoy your work, the way Ferguson clearly did. An example of Alex Ferguson enjoying his work is that he was always at the Manchester United training ground at seven o'clock in the morning. He said he never believed in lying in bed when you were awake. He felt that his body knew how much sleep he needed, and when you wake up in the morning, you're ready to get on with the day. And it certainly worked for him in terms of the amount he was able to fit in. The book includes some snippets of information that I'd never come across. For example, Manchester United reached two Champions League finals and lost each time to Barcelona. And Ferguson's assessment of why it happened was this. You get into real trouble when players ignore the plans and don't stick to them. That's exactly what happened to us in both the Champions League finals against Barcelona. Touches of the old Ferguson came out when he was talking about agents. He said, "Agents have become like tetsy flies. These days, they're everywhere in football, and almost all of them do nothing but feather their own nests and mess up the relationships between players." Clubs and managers, and incidentally, talking about flies and managers, Ferguson also says that the average housefly has a greater life expectancy than the average Premier League manager. Hmm. Obviously, not in Ferguson's case. Now he tells an interesting story about how he changed his approach to management. In his early days as manager of Aberdeen, he appointed Archie Knox as his assistant. After a few weeks, Knox came to him and said, "I might as well leave because you don't actually want an assistant. You want to do everything yourself." Knox added, "Why don't you let me run the training and you watch it?" 
Ferguson said afterwards it was the best move he ever made because he said, when I was running the training, I was so worried about what I was going to do next that I couldn't really watch what was going on. But when I let Archie run the training sessions, I could concentrate on observing players, seeing what was happening, noticing which players were struggling, which players were really excelling, and that helped me to select the right team for the next game. And delegation became one of the strengths of Ferguson's management. In a previous book, he also referred to the loneliness of the job. He said, you know, in the afternoons, I'm in my office and I've often finished my day's work and I'd just love somebody to put their head around the door and say, fancy a chat. But they never do it because they always think they're going to be disturbing me. And because I'm the boss, they're not comfortable doing that. Ferguson was friendly at one stage with the British Prime Minister, Tony Blair. And he said that's the first piece of advice he gave to Tony Blair. When you become the Prime Minister, it'll be a very lonely life because you're the boss and people will have a different relationship with you. Now, Ferguson says that he had four world-class players in his Manchester United squads over the years. I wonder if you will agree with his choices. Who do you think have been the best four players in Alex Ferguson's 25 years at Manchester United? You'll find out in part two. Uh, well, uh, OK, give me a few minutes to think about that. I'll definitely say that Ryan Giggs should be one of them. The second and final part of that feature on Sir Alex Ferguson's management and leadership qualities on next week's show. And thanks a lot to Stuart Weir for that. And that's it for this week's programme. But on Facebook and WhatsApp, do tell us what you think about the Africa Cup of Nations qualifying results. With all the drama in those recent matches, the hopes and the disappointment, uh, send us uh, your thoughts on WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Or go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. You can download our new app and listen to the show anytime you like. To download, go to the Play Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA and our website is planetsportfootballafrica.com. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashoms in Nigeria and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks so much for listening and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.